It is, by most standards of measure, the largest Christian church in the world. It's certainly the best-known Catholic church in the world, and not coincidentally, it's the church most closely associated with the Pope, though it is not the cathedral church of the Diocese of Rome, which is St. John Lateran. Millions, perhaps billions of people, have either visited or seen it on TV in the course of midnight masses, papal funerals and elections, and other events. For example, it was the setting for the January 5th, 2023 funeral of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Iconic is overused these days, but this church is truly iconic. By now you've guessed, I'm talking about St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City. God bless America. God love you. I want these to be my first words of greeting to you. They will be the concluding words on each broadcast. I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I am the Democratic Party's candidate for president. Annuncio Lopez, Gaudium Magnum, Abemus Papam. You've embarked on a Catholic history trek. Underneath the magnificent Basilica of St. Peter in Rome, there is a burial chamber known as the Sacred Grottoes. After the death of Pope Pius XI in 1939, plans were made to enlarge the chapel by excavating its floor. To the surprise of everyone involved, the construction workers who began digging out the floor unearthed a lost chapter of history. When they uncovered a series of burial sites underneath the modern burial chamber, the construction project became an archaeological dig. Prior to the church that sightseers gawk at today, there was on the same site a different church, the old St. Peter's Basilica, about which Scott will have more in a minute. Everyone knew that the builders of the 1500s had torn down and covered up the old basilica, and the foundations of the old church were unsurprisingly found beneath the new one. But no one remembered exactly what was beneath the old basilica when it was built, long ago in the waning days of the Roman Empire. As the Vatican workers continued to dig, the picture got more interesting. The old basilica had been built on the slope of a hill over the top of an existing cemetery. To build on such terrain had required an immense amount of labor and materials, and to build over a cemetery violated Roman law and custom. It would have been difficult and controversial. Why had Constantine taken such trouble to place the church at precisely that spot? Church tradition held that St. Peter had been killed and buried on this very hill, but there was little hard evidence for this belief. The findings under the new St. Peter's, however, began to back up the claim. The altar of the old St. Peter's was directly under the altar of the new one, and that old altar was directly above a cemetery where Christians were buried. The placement of the old basilica supported the idea that the spot had been honored as the tomb of St. Peter from at least the 3rd century. A cache of bones thought to be the Apostle Peter's was discovered within the tomb, but scientific tests showed that they did not match what was known about the fishermen. In the 1950s, however, an expert in ancient languages and symbols, Margarita Guarducci, was brought in to assist with the investigation. Guarducci made a decoding breakthrough, concluding that an inscription on one of the excavated walls read, Peter is within. This pointed attention to a hitherto neglected box of bone fragments that had been found in that wall. Following exhaustive scientific examination of the bones and the gravesite surrounding it, Vatican authorities had enough evidence and certitude to make a public declaration. In June 1968, nearly 30 years after the excavations began, Pope Paul VI announced the stunning discovery to the world. After lying hidden for almost 2,000 years, the remains of St. Peter had been found. 
So the naming of St. Peter's Basilica is not merely a sign of the fact that the Vatican is home to the Pope, the successor of Peter. Its location is directly connected to the martyrdom and final resting place of the Prince of the Apostles. And that takes us back to the early centuries of the church and the construction of the original St. Peter's. Rome is known as the City of Seven Hills. Northwest of Rome, past the Camp of Mars and the Tiber River, is another hill, Vatican Hill. The Vatican Hill was once the home of the Gardens of Agrippina the Elder. Her son, the Emperor Caligula, built a circus there and brought an obelisk from Heliopolis, near present-day Cairo, Egypt, which was erected in the circus. More on that obelisk later. One of Agrippina's daughters, aptly named Agrippina the Younger, had a son whose cruelty rivaled and surpassed that of Caligula. That son was the Emperor Nero. He was fond of Caligula's circus and arranged many spectacles there, including the martyrdom of Christians. Among these Christian martyrs was St. Peter. It's generally believed he was martyred in the year 67 AD, a year accepted by both St. Jerome and the church historian Eusebius. Although other historians have proposed dates as early as 55 and as late as 68. Tertullian and Origen both attested that St. Peter was martyred by crucifixion, with Origen stating that the crucifixion was with his head downward, at St. Peter's request. The site of his martyrdom and burial were remembered by early Christians, and eventually a simple sanctuary was erected in honor of the Prince of the Apostles. In the year 323, the Emperor Constantine began work on the magnificent basilica in St. Peter's honor. Not completed until after the Emperor's death, the Basilica of St. Peter's was erected on Vatican Hill and situated on the northern side of the former circus. Over the centuries, vast treasures were amassed in the basilica. Later, a covered colonnade was erected, connecting the basilica with the Castile Sant'Angelo, through which innumerable pilgrims passed. Eventually, churches, monasteries, Cemeteries and hospices arose in great numbers around the site of this old basilica. Being on the western side of the Tiber River, the basilica and the neighboring structures were not enclosed by the large wall which protected the ancient city of Rome, which lay on the east side of the Tiber River. But the city of Rome, as with the rest of the papal states, were protected by alliances upon which the pope relied on. The primary protector was the line of Carolingian kings. Unfortunately, as covered in our episode on the history of the Papal States, episode 40, these protectors sometimes failed to provide the promised protection. One such occasion took place when the Saracens invaded Rome in the mid-9th century. In 849, Pope Leo IV himself led a victory at Ostia over these invaders. But that victory came only after the Basilica of St. Peter and other sanctuaries not protected by the city wall of Rome had been pillaged two years earlier. After defeating the Saracens, Pope Leo IV surrounded the extensive suburb with a wall, interrupted at intervals by strong, well-fortified towers. This portion of the city became known as the Leonine City, a name which remains to the present day. By the 15th century, the old basilica had fallen into disrepair. Pope Nicholas V planned an expansion of the existing basilica and began construction, but he died in 1455 and his plans were not fulfilled. A few popes later, Julius II hatched a much grander scheme. Julius ordered a complete demolition of the old church and a brand new construction on a spectacular scale. 
He enlisted the finest architects and artisans money could buy, including Donato Bramante, who conceived the original design. The cornerstone for the new church was laid April 18, 1506. Julius reigned for only ten years, but the project he set in motion continued. Construction proceeded in one way or another over the next 150 years through more than 20 popes and a succession of architects. In 1547, the famous Renaissance artist Michelangelo took control. His contribution was key in bringing to reality the enormous dome called for in the initial design. Inside the dome appears the consequential Petrine Logian from Matthew 16. Tu es Petrus et super hanc Petrum edificabo ecclesiam meam et tibi dabo claves regni celorum. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Under architect Carlo Maderno, the nave was built, then the facade with its massive columns and windows. By Palm Sunday 1614, the church was ready for liturgical use. The formal date of completion of St. Peter's is generally considered to be November 18, 1626, when it was consecrated by Pope Urban VIII. St. Peter's has stood ever since. Its dome rises 452 feet from the Vatican soil. The basilica is 731 feet long and covers an interior space of more than 15,000 square meters. As impressive as it is, the size isn't the most stunning thing about St. Peter's. The interior overwhelms the senses with a dazzling array of art and decoration. Some of the most prominent of these elements were added after 1626, during the period when John Lorenzo Bernini was charged with embellishing the newly built basilica. Bernini's most famous addition to the interior of the church is undoubtedly the baldacchino, the canopy over the main or papal altar at the center or crossing of the transept. It's made mostly of bronze. It weighs 93 tons, and its four spiral supporting columns rise almost 100 feet above the floor. But this massive size doesn't seem out of place at all within the vast space of St. Peter's. It's covered with too many decorative elements to list, but to mention a couple, an angel standing atop each of the four columns, and in several places, the Barberini family's coat of arms, which consists of three bees. Pope Urban VIII, reigning during this period, was a Barberini. Approaching St. Peter's Basilica, one passes through a large plaza, or square, called Piazza di San Pietro. In English, it's often called St. Peter's Square. Within the square, it's impossible to miss the 83-foot-tall obelisk, the same one imported by the Emperor Caligula in the early 1st century for his circus. Already ancient at the time it was brought to Rome as a spoil of war in Rome's conquest of Egypt, the obelisk is about 4,000 years old today. The obelisk is one of many ancient Egyptian obelisks now residing in the Italian peninsula, which actually has more obelisks of Egyptian origin than Egypt itself. Previously called Caligula's Obelisk and later St. Peter's Needle, in 1585, Pope Sixtus V had the obelisk move from its previous location, several hundred meters away, to its new location as the centerpiece of St. Peter's Square. Moving the 360-ton monument without damaging the stone was quite an undertaking, but was accomplished by September of 1586, about one year after the task was begun. The original orb topping the obelisk was removed and replaced by a bronze cross containing a fragment of the true cross. After the obelisk's removal to its new location, Pope Sixtus V dedicated it with blessings and prayers of exorcism transforming the ancient monument from a pagan symbol to one celebrating the triumph of Christianity. The obelisk 
is flanked by two beautiful fountains, the Fontana del Moderno and the Fontana del Bernini, created by the two men Kevin mentioned a moment ago. In 1614, at the behest of Pope Paul V, Carlo Moderno designed the first of the two fountains, the Moderno Fountain. It was built on the site of a previous fountain created in 1490 during the pontificate of Pope Innocent VIII. About 40 years later, Pope Alexander VII tasked Bernini to design St. Peter's Square. Bernini had a second fountain built, aesthetically like Moderno's fountain, and he had Moderno's fountain slightly moved a few meters to its current position. So, the two fountains and the obelisk would all be aligned with each other within St. Peter's Square. And, speaking of St. Peter's Square, St. Peter's Square isn't really a square, at least not in shape. Rather, it's an ellipse. Surrounding the ellipse and approaching to St. Peter's Basilica is a colonnade consisting of four rows of Doric columns. The columns form three passages, a wider central passage and two smaller concentric passages on either side of this central passage. Not including the 20 or so statues atop St. Peter's Basilica, these colonnades and corridors are surmounted by 140 statues of saints. Most of the statues were built between 1661 and 1703, with one-third of them crafted by Lazaro Morelli. The statues include many saints who have appeared in previous episodes of Catholic History Trek, including St. Francis of Assisi, St. Peter and Lasco, and St. Ignatius of Loyola. Given its prominent place in the church's life, it's no surprise that St. Peter's has been the site of a large number of historic events. I'll highlight just a few. My list begins with one from the old St. Peter's, the crowning of Charlemagne in 800. The Franks were one of the eastern tribes that invaded and settled in the old Roman Empire, dominating the Roman province of Gaul and giving it their own name, France. On Christmas Day in 496, the king of the Franks, Clovis, accepted Christianity, and the Franks were Catholic, more or less, from that point forward. It was a Frankish king, Charles Martel, who famously turned back the Muslim invasion of Western Europe at the Battle of Tours. Charlemagne was the grandson of Charles Martel. He became king of the Franks in 768. He became the most powerful sovereign in Europe. When there was trouble in Rome, the Pope looked to the king of the Franks as the protector of the papacy. On Christmas Day in the year 800, while Charlemagne was in Rome, Pope Leo III crowned him Emperor of the Romans in the old St. Peter's Basilica. The porphyry stone on which the coronation took place was preserved, and you can find it today on the floor of the nave in the new basilica. Charlemagne died in January 814, but the Holy Roman Empire endured as a force in the church and European politics until the early 19th century. The new St. Peter's has also been the site of two ecumenical councils. Although there had been councils in Rome during the Middle Ages, five of them in total, they had been held at the Lateran Basilica. In 1869, Pope Pius IX convened the First Vatican Council, best known for its solemn definition of the dogma of papal infallibility. The First Vatican Council was cut short by the turmoil of the Risorgimento, the unification of Italy that destroyed the papal states. But a second Vatican Council was called by Pope John XXIII in 1962. It was the largest council in the history of the Church. Famous photos of the council show more than 2,000 bishops gathered in the vast interior of St. Peter's Basilica. As we've indicated, St. Peter's is home to a fabulous array of artwork. Perhaps the most famous is Michelangelo's Pietà, a marble sculpture of the Sorrowful Virgin holding the lifeless body of the crucified Christ. In May 1972, a mentally disturbed Hungarian man attacked the statue with a hammer, damaging Mary's face and knocking off her left arm. 
After a careful restoration, the Pieta re-emerged for public viewing, now behind a screen of bulletproof glass. Beginning in the 1600s, St. Peter's became the normative venue for beatifications and canonizations, and so countless saints have been minted there in the centuries since. Often, thousands of pilgrims flock to St. Peter's Square to witness the canonization ceremony. When St. Maria Goretti was canonized in 1950, among those present at St. Peter's that day was the man who killed her. The square is also where faithful gather during a conclave, where, following the appearance of white smoke from the Sistine Chapel chimney, the cardinal protodeacon announces from a balcony at the front of the basilica the election of a new pope, Annuncio Vobis Gaudia Magnum Habemus Papam. A recording of one such instance can be heard among the clips in our audio montage for the intro to Catholic History Trek. While not the oldest church in the world, St. Peter's Basilica at the Vatican is undoubtedly the world's most well-known and among the largest and most magnificent. And as Kevin mentioned, it is certainly iconic. While the humble podcast Kevin Schmeising and I do is not as magnificent as the Basilica and does not receive over a million visitors every year, we also won't charge you 20 or 30 euro just to visit us. Although we will respectfully ask that you take a moment to rate, review, subscribe, and share our podcast. Thank you. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto. Sicut erat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum. Amen. Thank you for listening to Catholic History Trek. You can reach us at catholichistorytrek at gmail.com. <laughs>